The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. As always, you got P Nate and Pooty in the studio, Garage Mahal. I love that we have a title for our studio, throwing it out there again. Love it, it's my favorite thing. Back with another episode of our Parable series. Technically, would this be episode two or episode one, considering we just did an intro, sort of, yesterday? Or I'm yesterday, going with two. Last, last week, with two. number two. So double, double ones. I don't know. That's 11, I guess. But it doesn't make some sense. <laughs> this lit podcast is brought to you by... Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> don't get that kind of woke. <laughs> <laughs> that's the wrong woke? Yeah, that's the wrong woke. No, I'm just playing. We are the Rebels, proud members of the Rebel Alliance Media, along with our the Awakening Reformation podcast, um, Grant and Eric Van Bremer, who also do the Fathers of the Faith podcast, um, or Fathers of Faith, I guess. I always say that, like I add the extra word, but anyway, Fathers of Faith, Fathers of Faith with their kids, basically just breaking down doctrines and like missionaries and people who are big church fathers, fathers of the history. faith yep. um, and just breaking down what they taught, what they did. It's amazing. It's actually a really good podcast, really quick too, actually. Yeah. Um, and we also have, along with the Emory boys who put out blog, po- blog posts and as well as a teaching series on the, um, the book of Mark, basically the rebels do everything now. Yeah. So um, just go to rebelliancemedia.com and, and figure in, out what fits your fancy. Yeah. You don't have to listen to everything except for this podcast. Um, this is the only mandatory one that you sign up for. Um, but how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, the world, not so much. Let's talk about Rebel News. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Rebel News is the only part of our podcast that isn't Postmill. It's no, just it's like, Postmill. It's super it's Postmill. Because I mean, like, all this stuff is being put underneath the page of Jesus and victory. I know, but my heart just sinks every time you say, well, I have thing. Rebel here's News. Here's the thing, actually. So Rebel News today is a little bit depressing, but we're going to end it on a good note. So um, you've probably by now heard about all the um, uh, the persecution that's coming out in China right now. Uh, our church actually has some missionaries in China. Uh, so we're kind of getting it firsthand as well, and uh, or secondhand, I suppose. And uh, it's basically... I'll just break it down several decades of history for people in a really quick uh, moment here. So uh, under a communist regime for a long time in China, it was illegal to be a Christian. Uh, they wouldn't allow in missionaries. Everybody, Every missionary who had to go in there uh, had to go in covertly. Uh, the church had to be underground. It was illegal to meet. People got in prison. People got put to death. Uh, slowly, um, as China became more players on the global economy, uh, they realized they couldn't do this. Um, and so uh, in, they, they went from the strategy of 
outlawing Christianity, which only saw church growth, by the way, (laughs) which is awesome, um, to a new strategy that they've employed over the last maybe decade and a half, and that is of trying to control the church. And so what they did was there is a state-sanctioned church in China, um, and the state controls what they can and can't preach about, um, what sort of things they can and can't do, uh, and and all of these kinds of things. Mm. Slowly... So what they require is for every church to register with the state. So then the state, um, they, they kind of have these officials or these kind of watchdogs or whatever who have like certain geographical area. They can come in. They can um, do all kinds of things. Um, they can observe. They can they can tell you, oh, you shouldn't have taught about that. So there's all these rule books. So on top of learning, you know, the Bible, if you go to a seminary in, uh, in China, uh, you also get indoctrinated with what the state uh, man, uh, mandates for pastors. So um, that's kind of the, uh, and once again, um, the church only has thrived. But what's interesting is that the underground church is what has thrived. And so all of the churches, and when I say underground, I don't mean literally underground. What I mean is that the churches who have chosen not to register with the state um, are the churches where they are preaching the gospel unashamedly. They are not compromising. So what's happening now is because China is experiencing such growth in the underground church, uh, the state is clamping down on unregistered churches who don't meet state requirements. And and they're now actually enforcing a bunch of stuff that they didn't enforce before. So it used to be that midweek programs couldn't include kids. So you couldn't have small groups or Sunday school classes with children. Um, and, but they never enforced this. Now they're enforcing it. Um, the uh, One of the mandates that they used to not enforce, but now they are enforcing, is um, they u- used to have uh, have to have two pictures of Chinese leaders um, on either side of the cross in the main auditorium. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like um, the thieves on the cross? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, well played. Um, and so there's just all kinds of things. They're, they're putting people in jail. They're, they're beating people, all kinds of stuff. So um, our brothers and sisters in China need our prayers. Um, but this is what's so interesting because um, what, what we find throughout history, and this is where we'll go post-mill on this rebel news here, Pudi. Nice is throughout history, the Christian church has thrived under persecution. The gospel is fanned into flame when people are beaten and persecuted for their faith. So um, we ought to be praying for our Christian brothers and sisters in China. But what's interesting is, and, and we know this, we have, we have missionaries in our church um, who are in China right now. What they pray for for us is that we would get uncomfortable. They pray that persecution would come to us, not to do us harm, but that would wake us up out of apathy. So we should pray for Christians in China. We should pray for our brothers and sisters, pray for our missionaries, the safety of their families, all that kind of stuff. We should pray for all that kind of stuff. But we should also thank God and rejoice that the Christian church is growing and the blood of the martyrs has always been the seed of the church. And so God's purposes will be fulfilled even amidst this in China, especially because of this in China. And what we ought to really pray for is that Christians in Canada and and in the u.s actually face a little bit more persecution yeah right now we are just comfortable buddying up with the state yeah i've told the story before but um ray ortland i saw one time ray ortland speak and um, was on it was on tv it wasn't anywhere like famous but um somebody asked him a question it was like a q a and they asked like how do i how do i stir up it was pastor's conference he asked how do i stir up my church they're apathetic 
And Ray Ortland, every all the other pastors, just quick answers like, oh, more programs, discipleship, like all the trendy pray, pray, pray read your Bible. Ray Ortland took, it felt like five minutes, but it was probably only a minute or two, clearly thinking of how to word this. And they just looked up, at, looked right down at the pastor and was like, pray that God ruins their lives. And that, I just remember that hit me to the wow. point where like the North American church, we have it so well. Yeah. We like, and are there problems? Absolutely. Are there issues with our worship? Yes. Are there issues with our carpet colors? Yes. Do any of those matter? No. And the difference is like, we, we aren't going to get punched in the face for going to church. We might, but it's unlikely. We don't face persecution like the underground churches and other places. And I, and I, and I say that not to say, Hey, like praise God for that right now. But we've gone so far that we're, we're like, you're saying we're so comfortable. Yeah. It doesn't cost us anything to be a Christian here or, or on the surface, it doesn't cost us anything. And what we see through scripture, through the the new Testament, the book of acts all, all the way through. If you read through the new Testament, the cost of following Christ is everything. Yep. Um, the co- and so like when we're, when we're in a comfortable state and it's not costing us anything, it's very hard for anybody to see the value in what we have. Yeah. I don't, I don't want our churches to be shut down, but if we want to see the gospel spread, it might take that. And I love the fact that you pointed out like the church in China is thriving under persecution because the church has always thrived under persecution. Yeah. The church has never been more pure, more persecuted than right after the the ascension in Jerusalem. Yeah, and now there's millions of Christians. Yeah, because you can't stop the gospel; it will That's never right. stop. And the more you try to stop it, the more it will spread out. Yeah. It's like water; you step on it, and it spreads. So, two things that I would say: number one is um, in Canada, we should be um, very aware of the fact that I think Trudeau dipped his foot in the pool to check out what the temperature was this past summer when he um when he pulled funding for summer jobs program to christian churches who uh wouldn't make certain statements about being pro-choice so um so just you know he's dipping his foot in the pool of can the can the state control the stance of the church and you know i'm ashamed to say that many churches in canada signed that checked that box and they did it for their own reasons and they had their own justifications. But uh, to our shame, many people still took the government's money with all the strings attached. So that's one thing that we ought to be aware of. The second thing that I would say is, you know, we, we believe, um, you know, we're post-mill. So, so we believe that um, there is true cultural um, transformation and, and tangible blessings that come from covenantal faithfulness. And so... We realize that when we say there's not as much persecution here, that's because we've been covenantally faithful as a country in our past. You know, Canada and the U.S., we both have very Christian roots. Unfortunately, we've strayed a long way from those. And so the lack of persecution is us enjoying the fruit or the benefits of other Christians' labor. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for too long now, we've been coasting, and I think we're headed back in the direction of a a culture that hates God. And so there will be persecution. And so my hope is is that whatever generation faces persecution next um, is remains faithful and is faithful enough to teach their kids that once, you know, 
uh, we humble ourselves and pray and cry out to God and he heals our land, um, that we stay humble and stay on our faces before God and don't get apathetic um, so that this doesn't continue to be a cycle like it was in, in the book of Judges. The last thing I'd say is that there is a cost to being a Christian in our culture right now. The problem is, is that we're not willing to, to, to pay that cost. Right. So like, like one of the, you know, in my own church, you know, one of the costs that many people aren't willing to pay is, um, you know, we, we want, we want stuff. We like stuff. So we want two incomes. So we want both our, both parents to work and we're going to send our kids to a daycare to, to be raised. Um, you know, that's a very simple way for Christians to make a sacrifice, um, sacrifice one income so that you can raise your kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We're not willing to pay that. Um, being looked at as, as people with our heads in the sand, you know, um, being looked at as bigots who believe that there's a fundamental difference between the way men and women were created or, um, that we have to, our conscience won't allow us to, um, you know, buy into the propaganda about abortion or gay marriage or all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. So there is a cost. There's just too many Christians who aren't willing to pay even this. Therefore, the the cost is going to become greater and greater until a generation arises that's willing to pay it. So, Amen. Well, let's take a break. Yep. And then we'll come back and we're jumping right into a parable. those signs and billboards saying advertise here now your commercial can be heard right here the rebel podcast gets 10 to 15,000 hits each episode great weekly exposure for your business for more information visit rebelalliancemedia.com or email the rebels at info at rebelalliancemedia.com have you checked out the new rebel alliance media website rebelalliancemedia.com It's expanded with more resources, blogs, and podcasts. Catch Grant and Erica Van Brimmer's Awakening Reformation podcast on Tuesdays, their Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids podcast on Mondays, and the Rebel podcast each Wednesday. Don't forget to watch the Rebels video every Friday. Read engaging weekly blog posts on theology and Christian living by Ben Emery and the Van Brimmer's. Study eschatology with Pastor Nate's Eschatology 101 video series and find more resources for Bible study and worldview matters. You can help Rebel Alliance Media expand even more with your financial donation. A one-time or monthly gift would be a great help and much appreciated. Click the donate button at the top of each page. Thank you for following and supporting rebelalliancemedia.com. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. Uh, we are in week two of our series on the parables. Um, and uh, one of the things that we talked about last week was why Jesus spoke in parables. And uh, we read from Matthew chapter 13, um, the disciples came to Jesus. Why do you speak to them in parables? He says, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given. He goes on and we, we talked about that a little bit last week. So the, the first thing to note is that the parables are about the kingdom of God. So the reason he spoke in parables is because his disciples had been given the secrets of the kingdom and 
the Pharisees and others who didn't understand were not given the secrets of the kingdom. So the parables generally have a whole lot to do with the kingdom of God. And I would just encourage you, if you're um, going to follow with us, maybe you're a regular listener and you want to follow along, uh, I would encourage you just maybe do some of your devotions in Matthew. Maybe you have your own plan. That's fine. But if, if do some of your devotions in Matthew. It's really interesting to me. Um, there's a couple times. So at the end of Matthew 4, right before Jesus kind of starts his, his teaching ministry and you get a, a bit of a summary of that, at the end of chapter 4, it talks about how he went all through the cities and towns preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Right, So it's not just that Jesus taught the gospel, and then later on in the book of Acts, it talks about the same sort of thing, the gospel of the kingdom. And so wherever the gospel is preached, and and Matthew makes this abundantly clear, wherever the gospel is preached, a component of the gospel is the aspect of the kingdom of God. And so we wanted to start this parable series because the parables are so closely linked to the teaching of the kingdom of God. We wanted to start with um, really the first parable that comes uh, in the book of Matthew, and that's in Matthew chapter 12. And um, Matthew chapter 12, it's specifically, it's the parable of the strong man. And, uh, and we want to talk uh, about this for a whole lot of reasons, because I think this, number one, it kind of sets up um, the parables really, really well. And um, just a reminder, uh, we said last week that a parable is a, um, a practical story uh, that communicates or illustrates a spiritual truth. Uh, and so uh, when we get to... Uh, kind of delving into the parables, so to speak, um, we recognize that the uh, parables themselves are, are a practical story used to illustrate a spiritual truth. Um, the second thing I just want to note, because we're talking about the, the link between the parables and the kingdom of God, and this particular parable is all about the kingdom of God, um, we have to ask the question, what is the kingdom of God, right? And so um, uh, I define the kingdom of God this way when I preach through Matthew, um, and I said, uh, the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of Jesus over the hearts and minds of his people and over the world that he came to save. And then I went on to say, he brought it in seed form. And it is now in the process of expansion. So uh, we'll talk about this specifically. Spoilers. <laughs> spoiler. Uh, specifically when we get into uh, Matthew 13 next week. But so the kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of Jesus over the hearts and minds of his people and over the world that he came to save. Um, so today's parable is in Matthew uh, chapter 12. Uh, and it uh, specifically um, starts in in. Uh, verse 22. Do you want to, do you want to read it there, Pudi? Yeah, I can read it. Okay. Then a demon, demon obsessed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw and all the people who were amazed and they said, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. I love this phrase. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if, the, but if by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
Or how can someone enter into a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong, strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. All right. So <clears throat> so this happens. This is an encounter between uh, the Pharisees and Jesus. Um, in the book of Matthew is very much about the culmination of the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. It's just getting going at this point. And, uh, and basically, he, he, so he, he casts out a demon. Um, the Pharisees accuse him of casting out demons by the power of, of Satan. And he, so it's interesting. So first of all, he, he makes a logical argument. First of all, he says like, every kingdom that's divided against itself won't lay to waste. Like why would Satan be working against Satan, right? That's silly, <laughs> number one. <laughs> number two, your, like, your people practice exorcism. So by whose power do they you know, cast out demons? So he kind of works through this, but then he tells a parable. He tells a story. He tells a, a practical illustration that communicates a spiritual truth. So he tells this story, and, and, and just so that you know that this is a parable, no, this is not Jesus giving like a how-to break into somebody's house <laughs> and successfully steal all their goods. That's, that's not what this is. Although it would, it would work. <laughs> yeah, although it would work. So then he tells this, this story. So notice, number one, the context, right? Uh, he says, and, and you're right, that phrase in verse 25, knowing their thoughts, like how disconcerting would it be to hang out with Jesus, right? Like, <laughs> so he doesn't just respond to what they say, he responds to what they think. Like how would that, how brutal would that be? Like you have a bad thought and he's like, let me respond to your thought, Chris. <laughs> Bless so, those who murder. <laughs> yeah. Don't murder. So, so then he says, um, every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste. So the context here is he's talking about kingdoms and particularly he's talking about the clash of kingdoms the clash between the kingdom of god and the kingdom of satan because then he talks about the power of satan and the power of god when i was in when i was in israel this is a story i think i've told it once on the podcast before but just in case people um haven't listened to all of them or they've forgotten i was in israel for a little while and i uh we had an israeli tour guide and uh, his name was Menachem, and he was awesome. And he and I developed a bit of a friendship throughout the course of our uh, two weeks in Israel. And, uh, and near the end, I thought to myself, you know, I, I really like this guy. He's taught me so, so much. And, and we had, we had a great sense, he had a great sense of humor. He and I joked all the time. And, uh, and I thought, you know, I can't leave here without sharing the gospel with him because this guy is a, 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 a he's Jewish. He doesn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. And he knew so much about even the New Testament because a lot of the places he brought us to were New Testament uh, um, realities and, or, or sites. And, uh, and I remember asking him this, and, and I said, you know, Menachem, and this is in my desire to share the gospel with him, I said, Menachem, you know, I'm just, I'm just this ignorant white Canadian guy who's here. You're the one who knows all this culture. Um, let me just ask you, why is it, amidst all the things that we've seen today, all the things that we've heard this week, how is it that you don't believe Jesus is the Messiah? Because, you know, as I read Isaiah 53 and, I, and Psalm 22 and some of these prophetic texts, it seems so clear to me. And it, he, there was no thinking. He had an answer ready. And he said, the reason I don't believe Jesus was the Messiah is because he didn't bring a kingdom. 
And, and I thought that was so such an interesting answer. And he actually took me to Isaiah 2. You can go there on your own. We won't go there now. But he took me to Isaiah 2, which basically talks about the, the kingdom that's established in the days of the Messiah, where all the earth will go to Zion to settle disputes and the law of God will transform the world. And, and so he says, if you look at all the promises of the kingdom of God that the Messiah is going to bring, um, it is earthly, it is tangible, it, is, um, it, is, it, it involves the nations and this earth. And he says, and the Messiah was supposed to bring it and the Messiah didn't bring it. And I know, he said, I know how Christians get around it. They say it, it was a spiritual kingdom. And he says, the problem is if you know Hebrew, if you know the text, it's not a spiritual kingdom. It involves spiritual elements like, you know, new birth and all that. But it's a physical kingdom here on earth that conquers the nations. Number two, um, they push it outside of human history, right? So many Christians, many North American Christians, particularly dispensationals, will say that God didn't bring the kingdom yet, but he's bringing the kingdom upon his second coming. And he says that's nowhere in the text. Everything in the text suggests when he comes, he brings the kingdom. So Jesus came, he didn't bring a kingdom. He brought lots of great ideas, but he didn't bring a kingdom. Therefore, he's not the Messiah. I didn't have an answer for him, man. So, you know, I did, I did my best to kind of share the gospel with him, but that kind of threw me into a bit of a cocoon phase. And I, I figured, you know, I got to figure this out. When I was preaching through Matthew, and particularly when I got to this text, um, the, the, big, the big verse for me was verse 28. Jesus says, after saying like, you know, why, it doesn't make any sense that Satan would cast out Satan. He says, if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So the question is, there's only, he only gives you two options here. Did Jesus cast out demons by the power of Satan or the power of God? Every Christian needs to say by the power of God. And there he says, if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In, in other words, I brought the kingdom. The kingdom's here. So in the context of talking about kingdoms and divided kingdoms and the clash of kingdoms, what he's saying is the kingdom of God is here because I'm here. And so Jesus did bring a kingdom. He did bring the kingdom. So then the question is, well, why doesn't it look like Menachem suggested? Why doesn't it look like, you know, that that uh, world-changing, um, earth-conquering, nations-turning kingdom of God that the Old Testament seems to promise? And it promises it everywhere. Read um, Psalm 20 or Psalm 2, right? Ask of me, I'll give the nations as your inheritance. Psalm 22, Psalm 72, all the nations of the earth will bow down before him and all nations will serve him. All those Isaiah 2, right? Malachi 1 11. There's, there's tons of them, tons of them, tons of them. Daniel, right? Daniel chapter 2, when it talks about the kingdom of God coming in the time of the fourth kingdom, uh, and this stone will become a mighty mountain that will fill the whole earth. So the, the, the question is, did Jesus bring the kingdom? Yes. The answer is yes, he did. He says it plainly here in in matthew chapter 12 then the question becomes well what is what what does it mean that he brought the kingdom and why doesn't it look like that and that's where that second part comes where i said he he brought the kingdom in seed form and it's now in the process of expansion spoiler alert that's what we're going to talk about the next couple of weeks <laughs> but we're not there yet because he talks about that in matthew uh 13 and the reason he talks about that in matthew 13 is because in matthew chapter 12 he tells them the kingdom of god is here so then when he's just with his disciples in Matthew 13, he has to take some time to talk about, okay, guys, let me tell you about the kingdom because so, you look confused, right? But here he is and he gives this parable. The parable is 
How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. So the idea here is that if you want to steal stuff from your neighbor's house and your neighbor's a strong dude, you got to go in and tie him up and then you can steal his goods. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying. But this is a parable. It's a practical example that's supposed to illustrate a spiritual truth. So in this parable, Pootie, who's the strong man? Well, the strong man is Satan and Lucifer. So I, I think we actually have to back up and just explain something. One more step, I think. Go for it. You have to get, you have to think back to the garden because um, really that would be that would be the kingdom in the in the first place. So Adam was the proprietor; he was the ruler of the garden. He surrendered king, like kingship of the of the world at that point when he fell to Satan. So it's now Satan's world at this point. When Jesus came, so just came, to, just to be clear, right? We're we're not saying Satan owns the world. We're saying that he was. Um, kind of legal rights to take dominion over yes. the earth were surrendered to Satan when, when when Adam fell, because Adam Adam was as a sort of vice regent given dominion over the earth. Right? He says Jesus. God says to him, "Have dominion, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue the earth." That was Adam's task. So, in obedience to God, would have looked like that. But Adam fell. He surrendered. He chose to. Um, trust satan rather than god right because satan satan had said to eve right if you if you eat this you will be like god knowing good from evil and so um so in surrendering the um the mandate to take dominion over the earth to satan um adam had foregone his own calling and and in many ways and this is why in the new testament it talks about satan as god of this earth and that sort of thing now that's not to say that god isn't still in control and still in sovereign but in his sovereignty, he allowed the man who he handed dominion of the earth over to, the first Adam, to surrender it to Satan. And just to illustrate this point, just to, just to kind of make this point, think about the temptation of Jesus, right? So in Matthew, in, in Matthew chapter 4, uh, 3 or 4. Um, it, it's G in there. Yeah, it's in there. Um, Satan tempts Jesus in the, in the wilderness, right? Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Interestingly, the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years, um, disobedient. Jesus goes into the wilderness, emerges the perfect Israelite, right? Because for 40 days and 40 nights, he does not sin. Uh, but he goes in there, he's tempted by Satan. And the last temptation of, of, uh, of Jesus by Satan was, if you bow down to me, I will give you the earth. Now, which implies that it's his to give. Right. And that's what I was going to say. So the, the implication there, notice that Jesus doesn't say, Satan, come on, these aren't yours to give. Well, and, and the implication is, is if it's a temptation, it has to be a real temptation. Exactly. Which exactly. means this is something that Christ desired that's that not, for lack of a better term, that Satan possessed. That's if right. That, it, yeah, like, yeah. No, no, no. I think, I think you're right. And we got You're right. We have to be careful with language here because God is yeah, sovereign. Yeah, I don't want to give the wrong. But you're right. Jesus didn't say they're not yours to give. Um, he actually said, you know, thou shalt worship your, uh, the Lord your God uh, and not bow down to anyone else. So that's how he combated that. But you, you use the word desire, and that's exactly right. So it was a temptation for Jesus because it was offering Jesus exactly what he actually came for, right? Psalm 2, right? Taught, it, it's it's a glimpse into the eternal covenant of redemption when God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit had had made a covenant 
for God to save a certain people and for Jesus to, to, uh, to do the work to atone for the, the sins of those people. So in Psalm chapter two, it says, ask of me, this is God talking to God the Son, ask of me and I will give the nations to you as your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession. And so, so that's why Jesus came. Jesus came, it says in 1 John, to destroy the works of the devil. And there it would imply that he came to get the nations, to get possession of his inheritance of all the people that that God had elected before the foundation of the world. So what Satan was offering Jesus in that temptation was come and get what you came for by circumventing the cross. That's why it was a temptation to Jesus because it was essentially I'll give you. I will just give you what you came here for and you don't even have to suffer for it. Just bow to me and I'll give it to you. Which which ties to this parable great big because big time. The the implication of that is that I'll give you what you want without you having to do what this parable says you have to do, which is to bind me. That's exactly I'll just right. give it to you. I'll that's give exactly it, right. But you don't have to do the binding work on me. And that's that's the temptation, right? So that's why I think how I think we link all of what we just said to this parable. Yeah. Um, and yes, the, at, in this in this analogy in this in this parable, the house is Satan's house. The world. Yep. Jesus came as Doug Wilson, I think even still says it in our intro. He came to take the devil's stuff. Yeah. He came back to take the stuff in that house. Right. And so what, so what at this point in terms of jurisdiction, we're being careful with our language here in terms of jurisdiction, what belonged to Satan? Well, it says that, you know, the, the God of this world still blinds the minds of unbelievers, right? So they cannot see the truth of the gospel. So the whole idea here is that Satan controlled the world in such a way that he had blinded the minds of unbelievers from seeing the truth and the glory of Jesus Christ. So, so what happens? God sets forth a rescue plan. Mm. I'm going to choose Abraham. And from Abraham, I'm going to make a nation. And of all the nations of the earth that Satan has blinded the minds of so that they cannot see the glory of God, I'm going to choose one nation that is going to be mine. And to them, I'll give them my law. To them, I'll give them my written word. And through them will come the living word, the Messiah, the one who would, who would eventually win back the world. Yeah, there's reasons they're referred to as a rem- like a remnant. A remnant, that There's yeah. very few of them. Yep. It's implied because they are, they are in, in essence, to put it to our podcast name, they are the rebellious force. That's right. To the world's kingdom, right? That's they're right. the ones that are always, and if you read back through the, the Old Testament, and I encourage you to do this, how often is Israel the footstool of somebody? How often are they the ones that are in a, in opposition to everybody? Yet they're the ones that have that have lasted. If you look at the story of of how God uses Cyrus to preserve them, as opposed to where everybody else was getting assimilated into this into these nations, Israel up until the New Testament is remains whole. They right. they find a way through bondage and slavery for 500 years, 40 years in the, in the wilderness, multiple different wars, hundreds of hundreds and hundreds of years of just being tossed one way to another. God has kept them to the, to this point. And now crisis, I'm, I'm, I'm coming yep. to take back the kingdoms. Yep. yep. So, um, so I'm just going to read a few verses that then talk about. So Jesus is saying, right? Clash of kingdoms, my kingdom versus Satan's kingdom. I brought my kingdom. And in order to defeat Satan's kingdom, I need to bind him up so that we can plunder his stuff, so we can steal his stuff. So just a couple of verses that go along with, so that's the narrative, right? So that's why he came. So a couple of things that go along with that. In Luke chapter 10, verse 18, it says, Jesus said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. All right. When did that happen? 
Uh, John chapter 12, now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world shall be cast out. Okay, so so okay. what he's talking about, who's ruling this world right now? Well, we've just established that Satan offered that to Jesus, right? So there's, in some sense, again, we're not circumventing the sovereignty of God, but in some sense, Jesus called Satan the ruler of this world. And he says, now is the time, now is the time where he will be cast out. John 16, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Hebrews chapter 2 says that through the death of, uh, through death, Christ might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. So, Jesus, through his own death, rendered powerless the devil. That's interesting. Think about that. Um, Romans chapter 16, it says, And the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath our feet. Where? <laughs> um, Colossians chapter 2 talks about, He had disarmed the rulers and the authorities. He made them a public display, having triumphed over them through Christ. And then 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus came to this earth, to win back the world that had been surrendered to Satan through the first Adam's disobedience. So the second Adam comes, and through his obedience and through his sacrificial death on the cross, he cast out the ruler of this world. He judged the ruler of this world. He rendered powerless the the ruler of this world. He crushed Satan underneath his feet. He triumphed over him, making him a public display through his death. And he came that he would destroy the works of the devil. So basically what this is saying is that the, the life and the work of Jesus crushed the head of the snake. And that, that was the promise. That's, that's Genesis 3.15, right? That one day someone's going to come along who's going to crush the head of the snake. Side note, you've heard me say this before, but I, I love the look on your face when I say it. And, and in case anybody hasn't, hasn't heard me say it, isn't it awesome that it was prophesied that one would come who would crush the head of the snake and on Golgotha, which is the place of the skull, the cross gets driven into the ground right on the top of the skull. It's like Jesus or God, the divine storyteller, is showing us, hey, that's where the head of the snake got crushed. So many Christians, we attribute way too much power to Satan right now. He is a snake with his head crushed. That doesn't mean he doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't mean he's been destroyed. He hasn't been destroyed yet, but he has been dealt a mortal wound. His head has been crushed. He has been going through all that. Judged, cast out, rendered powerless, made public display, and triumphed over. Like, that's that's Satan right now. Yeah. Which is why we, we shouldn't, like, we often with these kind of verses, like, you get you get that other side of... of I don't want to. I just want. I don't want to say it's just Pentecostal people who do this, but you, the charismatic side that does the, like, let's pray to bind Satan. Yeah. Let's pray to like bind him from a hedge of protection around your church. <laughs> hedge of protection. Uh, like, that's a long time since we made a hedge of protection <laughs> joke. I ran over it with lawnmower. Um, but like all those jokes about like you have to pray for this, you have to be weary of this. Yeah. And and we're not limiting saying that there isn't anything to fear or anything to worry about. We're just highlighting the fact that Christ already did this. Yeah. All we have to do is plunder his stuff now right and and so and just to, to make that point clear um any of you who have watched the revelation series have heard me say this but in revelation chapter 20 there's a really interesting verse and part of the problem with why we attribute too much power to satan is because in revelation chapter 20 
um, we, we push that to some sort of long future thing, Mm -hmm. but it actually says, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. Now the term angel just means messenger. And and if you've watched my revelation series many times throughout the book of revelation, you have to discern, is this messenger an angelic being? Is it Jesus himself? Or is it an earthly like pastor or something like that? Cause all the word actually means is, is messenger. So I think this is talking about uh, about Jesus. Then I saw an angel, or there I saw Jesus. Then I saw an, a messenger coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. So the reason I say that's not an angel, but that's Jesus, is if you go back to Revelation chapter 1, when John first gets a glimpse of Jesus and it talks about him with the white hair and the eyes that are glowing and he's holding the stars in his hand. It says that in his hands are the keys and the chain. So Jesus has already been depicted in the book of Revelation as the one who's holding these keys. So he comes down, he's holding the keys and he, this is verse two, seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. So here's what we're saying. We're not saying that Satan has been already destroyed and we're not saying that Satan holds no power. What we're saying is that he has been bound and he has been bound in a very specific way. This says he was bound so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. So when when in Corinthians, Paul says, um, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the glory of Christ or the truth of the gospel. He's talking about the world before, before Christ, mm. right? And Christ came to destroy the works of the devil, to cast him out, to judge him, to do all those kinds of things so that he could be bound in relation to his ability to deceive the nations. So then what happens? So, so Jesus binds Satan on the cross, right? And then at his great commission, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Why? Because Satan has been bound in his ability to deceive the nations. The veil has been lifted that the nations are open to go and be and be had. And so what Jesus is really saying at the Great Commission, which I love, goes back to uh, Psalm chapter 2. Go get me my inheritance. Go get me the nations, what I came here for. So, so when Satan says, bow and I'll give you the nations, um, Jesus says no. He refuses. He goes to the cross. He comes. And then so now the nations are once again rightfully his. He's bought back the earth. And then he says to us, go get it for me. Yeah. And that answers the question, how do we plunder Satan's kingdom? We make disciples. Amen. We go and make disciples. Um, and then simply live your life. You live your Christian life. Like you're on the offense. There's no, there's no need for us to play. I don't know. I'm using sports. There's no need. There's no, no need for that. The enemy has been bound in the regard, in the regards that we've said before, Satan has no power to send anybody to hell. Only Christ does. So, Let's go get the nations. Let's go get the peoples of this world for Christ. Amen. Because that's what he came to do, and he left us to do it yep. in his sovereignty. And that's that's a very encouraging thing. I think if people, I think specifically if the church as a whole got this idea, we we sometimes we get the idea of salt. We sometimes get the idea of light. We very rarely get them both. Um, but if we got this idea that we're here to win the nations and people take not naturally take nations to be like, Oh, I've got to go to Somalia. I got to go like yeah. all the nations in, in biblical, uh, biblical terms as is peoples. Yeah. The peoples of the Gentiles, world. Gentiles really like none. Exactly. And Christ, and Christ has bound Satan from deceiving those, from deceiving those people. And he's left us to go get 
what he's been promised to be to be giving. It's a fantastic, yeah. unbelievably encouraging thing. Yeah, and so and so this is this is the the analogy. This is the picture that post cross this parable should should put for you. Jesus walks into Satan's house, binds him up, and then walks out, leaving all the windows and the doors open for us to go get his stuff. <laughs> that that's what it is. So it's not even that Jesus went in, bound him up, and took all his stuff. Jesus went in, bound him up, and then just said, "Have at it, boys! Like go plunder the house, go plunder his goods." Well, and so and so we go in and we destroy pornography, and we destroy the culture of death and abortion, and we and we and we find enemies of God, haters of God, and we convert them to be lovers of God through the gospel and the regeneration of their hearts through the uh, Holy Spirit. That's what it looks like. So Amen. Jesus has bound him up. Satan is sitting there watching us plunder his goods with no power, no power to stop it. It's, and all he can do is kind of whisper at us. He's bound up. All he can do is whisper from the corner. Don't take that. Don't take that. Hey, you're not strong enough to lift that. You can't do that. That's all he can do because he's bound. Exactly. That's the picture that this parable is meant to leave us with. Exactly. You can, you can see this picture in the Bible because we've seen, we've seen this played out sort of before us in, in David and Goliath. David crushes the head of Goliath with a stone, cuts it off as well. But, yeah. and then what happens? The stronger army gets totally plundered. Yeah. Why? Because David kills the snake. Yeah. David yeah. is a Christ figure in, yep. in the Bible. He kills the snake, Goliath, in this situation. Yeah. And then the armies, us, because yeah. bear in mind, when you read the Old Testament, we're Israel. Yep plunders the the other nations that's a, that's a great one so so goliath is sitting there with his head chopped off and we have to run over top of the dead body <laughs> and, and go and plunder the philistines and that picture is a great one because what happens israel runs out on offense and the philistines flee in defense exactly because they have no idea how to do it yeah so it's fantastic so that's that's what that parable looks like and hopefully that encourages you in how you engage culture because you no longer look at culture as an equal opposing kingdom but instead a kingdom whose leader has had his head crushed who is bound up who is no longer powerless to who is now powerless to stop us mm. and it still costs us our lives it still costs us you know um us uh dying to self and and living a life of obedience but in that we are promised victory Amen. and 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 this goes back we talked about um the the uh, persecution of china the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church Jesus rules over the leaders of China. Jesus rules over Justin Trudeau. Jesus rules over Donald Trump. Psalm 2 says, um, O rulers of the earth, be wise. Kiss the son, lest his anger be kindled against you. Right? Psalm uh, 72 says, O nations, or, O leaders of the earth, be wise. Um, and it says, um, all nations or all leaders, all kings of the earth, bow down before him, and all nations serve him. That's where we're headed. That's the story, um, and uh, and this parable makes it obvious that God came, Jesus came, established a kingdom, um, um, dealt the death blow to the opposing kingdom, and uh, and now it's our job to overtake it. Amen. Amen. All right, I think that's I think that's it. Yeah, it's gonna be a good series. I, I I was just sitting here thinking myself. I'm like, I could just record another one. You just <laughs> like like this, just keep going. Let's just keep these going. This is a double parter. <laughs> Here's the mustard seed. Let's roll. Let's um, roll. So we got we got peanut and pooty all fired up. So that'll be good. Hope you enjoyed it. As always, if you liked what you heard. Check us out on Facebook, like, share us. We do videos on Fridays, as well as our, our brothers in arms, so to speak, um, the Awakening Reformation. I guess they're not both brothers. 
but yeah, and brothers and sisters in arms, I would say. Uh, the Awakening Reformation podcast, check them out. Also, the Fathers of Faith, check that out as well. And as well as every Thursday, there's blog posts and teaching series. Check that out as well. We're the Rebels. Have a great one, guys. See you next week. <laughs>